One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hi, hello there. It's me. It's Caroline. Who else would it be at this stage, I suppose? Uh, I just wanted to hop on here and say that this is the final episode of season 11. Um, I'm going to be taking a break for a little while. I think I'm going to be back with a mini series pretty soon with our good friend Jen County, who has been on this podcast a lot, a lot. And everybody always says, bring back Jen County. It's the it's the come to Brazil of sentimental garbage. It's bring back Jen County. We'll have a mini series coming up in the spring. Uh, I won't give you any spoilers about that yet. But apart from that, I won't be on regular season until probably the middle of the summer, maybe even the end of the summer. There's some stuff to look forward to before then, though. Obviously, there's the mini series I just mentioned with Jen County, which I'm sure everyone's interest is piqued by. Um, but I'm also going to be having some live dates coming up in June, happening in not just London but other cities as well and I'm hoping to go to Scotland too. Uh, I'll I'll jump on here when I have more dates about that but uh, rest assured there will be opportunities to come see Sentimental Garbage Live. On a completely different note I also wanted to add that if you're passionate about helping the war in Gaza and I know many many of you are Oxfam have been a really useful resource for not just donating for their crisis appeal, but also calling for a ceasefire. And they provide amazing resources for you to write to your MP. Um, I know it sounds like an obvious one, like Oxfam are kind of one of the biggest charities in the UK, but I really do think their response to this has been incredibly robust, helpful and also very accessible. So you can get that through oxfam.org.uk. Another initiative that I've been donating to for a while is eSIMs for Gaza. Uh, This is where you can buy a digital SIM card and donate it to people who are attempting to stay connected during this war, making sure they can talk to one another, but also so that they can broadcast what's happening to the wider world as well. Uh, You can get that at gazaesims.com. So that's it from me. Look after yourself. Take time for yourself. And uh, yeah, it's it's not it's not an easy world to be living in at the moment. And I spend a lot of my time on this podcast talking about how the art that we love and the culture that we love isn't just because it might be might feel frivolous. It doesn't mean that it's ever useless. And I wanted to expand on that by saying that art is never useless, but that you aren't useless either. Uh, I'm going to quote something my friend Sarah Marshall said when on her podcast where she said that no matter where you are in the world, your energy is needed somewhere. So I'll leave you with that. Enjoy the episode. It's a great one with Elizabeth Day, an absolute legend of English podcasting and uh, just an incredible person to hang out with. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. I obviously will never get to grips with the entirety of the Real Housewives franchise, but God, do I try. Uh, Enjoy, everyone. Hello and welcome to Sentimental Garbage, the podcast where we talk about the culture we love that society sometimes makes us feel ashamed of. My name is Caroline, and if life gives you nine lemons, put them in a bowl. <laughs> Joining me is the woman I helped get Jordani outfits for, and she didn't even say thank you or invite my boyfriend to her cabaret show, Elizabeth Day. Oh my gosh, I see what you did there. 
I am so happy to be here. Thank you. This has been a long time coming. A long, but I yes. actually feel an appropriate length of time given the gravity and the artistry of what we're about to discuss. The undertaking is massive, and I just I just want to say to everyone before we launched into this Real Housewives podcast that um uh. There is no way on heaven and earth I could have possibly absorbed every episode of Real Housewives, but in preparing for this podcast. So you have very kindly, you gave me sort of a syllabus, a kind yes. of a pick and mix of like, okay, if you watch these 10 episodes, you will get like a healthy summation of the entire series. Yeah. Um, despite the fact that you dwindled it down to 10 episodes, it still took us three years to plan this. Episode. I know. <laughs> I think because I think you're obviously very busy. I'm very busy watching Housewives. So I, I can't fit a lot of stuff in. Like work is an addendum. Mainly my day consists of of getting up early to watch Real Housewives. Mm-hmm. On a treadmill, probably. Oh, no, well. that was such a chic idea. This <laughs> is how I imagine them, just on treadmills, watching shows and like organising their next product launch. Yeah, you see, I like to devote proper concentration, so I would oh, I never see. do it whilst doing something else. I mean, okay. it depends on the franchise, of course, but I'm so happy <laughs> that I get a chance to talk to you about it. And actually, I think it gives it a certain added piquancy that you are a novice in this yes. multiverse because very often when I talk about housewives on podcasts and I do so any opportunity I'm given it's talking to a fellow expert yeah. to a fellow her historian <laughs> and what's great is that you're I love this podcast I love you and you're so phenomenally smart that you'll have really interesting questions from having watched and I really did I really did like throw you in the deep end because these were 10 episodes from 10 different franchises. Mm -hmm. And there were a couple of repeat ones from the greatest franchise of all time, New York. Mm -hmm. But they were right in the middle of some hugely complicated storyline. Yes. And part of what I said to you is the joy of Housewives is that you build up context Mm -hmm. over hours and hours of devoted watching. Yes. And I think what I what I could see immediately as being the very satisfying thing, particularly you when you come to like those big ticket cities like New York or even Beverly Hills, is that like there is both a uh, local intimate context from watching the show and seeing their habits and children and businesses and renovations and divorces. Yes. yes. <laughs> but there is also a global context that is simultaneously at work. So it's like this person is married to a Morgan of JP yes. Morgan's. I believe that's Sonia. That's Sonia. Well done. Thank you. Congrats. <laughs> yes. Every piece of information that my brain has like managed to latch onto is so hard won because it's so much information coming at you. Yeah. It's very hard. And as a novice, it's hard to glue onto it all but yeah so you have this and then you have um the countess luanne luanne de la seps yes who i'm a huge fan of oh you're right to be <laughs> she's one of my favorites i think the arc that she has been on but the idea that like okay so I, in the context of the reality show she holds a certain position and a certain you know thing and she's got a cabaret thing but also she's having this global context where she's in prison yeah <laughs> Yes. Like the voice note I sent you yesterday. Yeah. I was like, okay, Liz, um, the episode has opened at a funeral. And that, and like that seems intense enough. Mm. And there's these two women who I, I believe haven't spoken in many years, but last spoke on this very TV show. One of their husbands has died yeah. and they're making up at a shiva. And it seems very emotional. And also there are cameras there at the shiva. This is a lot. And then a minute later, they're referring to their friend in prison. And I just had to stop and I was like, Liz, I'm sorry. Why is someone in prison? I didn't think it was that kind of show. 
Uh, well, neither did the viewers. And of course, for aficionados, you will know that what Caroline is referring to is the Real Housewives of New York, where Jill Zarin, who was one of the OGs, one of the original ladies in mm. the original cast of New York, her beloved husband, Bobby, who had encouraged her on the show in the first place, mm. died and everyone loved Bobby. But Jill was very close to Bethany Frankel and brought Bethany onto the show. And Bethany, at the time that she debuted on The Real Housewives of New York, was this sort of scrappy private chef, incredibly quick-witted. Was she a chef or was she a cook? Great question. <laughs> so proud of you. Thanks. That's a whole. That's from another episode, legendary episode, Scary Island. Um, that whole row. But yeah, she was she was a private chef slash cook, um, and she had considerably less disposable income, less social connections than anyone else on the cast, and so Jill very much felt like she was giving Bethany a leg up. What she didn't appreciate was that Bethany was going was has this incredible entrepreneurial spirit, and made a multi million dollar business off the back of her profile on Housewives, mm-hmm. and launched a brand called Skinny Girl and developed the Skinny Girl Margarita, which is this pre made diet margarita, um, and made millions. Margaritas that fat thing. Well, I didn't know that until I started watching Real Housewives in New York. I don't, well, I, her skinny margarita, all I can say is, I don't care whether they're fasting or not, but I have had her skinny margarita once in a hot tub in LA. I bought it in the supermarket. I got so drunk because when you're drinking in a hot tub as well, you're being dehydrated dehydrated constantly and it was delicious and I couldn't tell the difference between that and a a full fat margarita. Wow. (laughs) And also the salt as well, so you're just like a prune yes. full of tequila and limes. I, honestly, I didn't I, I didn't understand and there was a whole like context around it where my two stepsons were about to arrive. Like their dad, my husband had gone to pick them up from the airport and when they arrived, we were spending Christmas there. I was so hammered and I had to like hold it together because we were going out for dinner. It's like I've only had a couple of glasses this is of very a real housewives. Yes. But two it, stepsons and you in the you in the hot <laughs> Anyway, Bethany and Jill fell out and you see their falling out through the course of this narrative and then they are reunited in this very high-octane way um, outside the doors of Bobby's funeral. Um, And it's been a source of controversy whether Jill gave her permission for filming ever since. I see. Um, And then alongside that, yes, the Countess as was. So she was married to a man called Count de Lesseps. (laughs) even though Luanne herself is a former nurse from the Midwest of America. And the Count de Lesseps, um, his ancestor built the Suez Canal, fun fact. And she starts out as this grand dame of New York who's very into her social etiquette and insists that drivers address her as the Countess. Mm -hmm. And she has this extraordinary narrative arc where she gets divorced. Um, She starts drinking a bit too much. Um, she wants to get remarried very quickly. She makes a bad decision, gets remarried to someone who turns out to be cheating on her, all of which is revealed on the show. And then she hits rock bottom um, and one boozy night in Palm Beach, she walks into a hotel room that isn't hers, gets aggressive when the hotel staff try to to calm her down and then ends up like assaulting a police officer (laughs) and ends up in jail. And this is all captured again on the show, on the police cam, on in the, the ring doorbell, car. on yeah, like everything. Yeah. They, yeah. The editors are, are incredibly talented. And so the reason she is such an astonishing housewife is not only because of what she's been through, but because of what she's willing to share on screen. And now she's 
she went to rehab. There's this iconic line in that episode I sent you where she says, I've been so busy. I've been a, I've been to Palm Beach. I've been to jail. I've been to rehab. <laughs> <laughs> and and she's built herself back together. And she's now launched a highly successful cabaret career in spite of the fact that she can't really sing. No, not at all. Not a lick. Not a note. Not a note. So but she gets the best people around her. It's so, so listen uh, to us all. It re- <laughs> it's very much me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, the, the the that wasn't an episode that you sent me. The cabaret no. episode, but. I think I can't remember the order in which I watched them. I think I started with some Salt Lake City ones and then I moved into New York. But it was once I met Luann, I was like, well, I have to keep following. I'm actually, I don't think I ticked off every single episode you even sent me because I got so waylaid by Great. the Luann storyline. Fantastic. I was like, well, I have to watch the cabaret <laughs> yes. show. I'll die if I don't. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and then like Rachel Dratch is there and yeah. Bridget Everett is there and. There's a whole subplot about someone's boyfriend not getting invited, and it's it is it looks like a great night out that cabaret. I I completely wish her well. Oh my gosh, it looks so much fun. She has yet to bring the cabaret to the UK, but she is appearing. I think she's appearing at All Points East, so we should go. You are not serious. I'm totally serious. I, there's already been a lot of chatter on not even like with my Mighty Hoopla. Friends. All Points East. Oh no, maybe it's Mighty Hoopla. I get confused. I'm not massively into festivals, <laughs> yeah. but I will be into this. One. All Points East is like Mighty a Hoopla. graphic designer's okay. festival. Like it's like... <laughs> it sounded wrong as I said it. Okay, <laughs> it's Mighty Hoopla. And that does seem like contextually would make more sense. Yeah. Another housewife from Beverly Hills. Um, Dorit is in Peter Pan. She's in. She's touring Panto oh. <laughs> around the UK with Boy George. She plays the mermaid. Oh, so. <laughs> but um, let's uh, dial back, and I want to get a history of both the franchise and you and the franchise. Yeah. So I'm vaguely aware that um, it started with Orange County. Yes. It started in 2005, I believe. Wow. So, Actually, when I look back, relatively recently to be such a sort of but to have cultural like beer moth. 15 years almost of yeah. like a reality show that is, is in a way very low concept, right? Yeah. And in, as well, it's like, it's, I always find it fascinating. And the same thing with um, Strictly Come Dancing. Where it's like, oh, this was made by bashing several concepts together. Like the only reason Strictly is called Strictly is because of Strictly Ballroom. Yes. The sort of like indie Baz Luhrmann movie that started yes. his career. Like why would that then be um, taped on to a dancing competition in the UK that is now huge? But if we, that same sort of logic was applied to The Real Housewives because... Desperate Housewives yes. was this enormous TV moment. Like we talk about the golden age of TV as if it began with Mad Men. It mm. began with Desperate Housewives. Yeah. That was like I don't know what it was about that show exactly, but it, it lit up many things for people. Firstly, about sort of the interest of suburbia and what happens behind the doors of perfect lives. And also, oh wow, women over 40 are interesting. <laughs> yes. Such a good point. Yeah, and that and that sort of like I mean I've I've done a little bit of research on that separate to this because I was um I wrote a short story for an anthology about a porn actor and I kind of wanted to th- talk about and think about milfs and and their role in society and I found out that milfs that whole category as a as a porn thing started with Desperate Housewives. Really, yeah. it wasn't American Pie because that's where I first heard it. But American Pie, yeah. I'm just thinking, was probably later. Than Desperate Housewives. They may have, maybe American Pie was slightly earlier, but I think it was like the 
Sorry. The category the, on Pornhub. The cat- <laughs> the ca- it is a category. It is a thing that like porn is now available enough on the internet that it's become like its own industry. I suppose. Yes. It kind of coincided with Desperate Housewives. And I suppose American Pie as well. Um, so it's like this. That's it's so, so weird that this has become such a, a thing. So many things have sprung from it. Yeah. Um, but then also simultaneously, there was a huge thing around Orange County as a concept because, like, the OC was this structured reality show that was about teenagers. And I guess what these Bravo producers did were like, okay, housewives, the OC. I guess these teenagers have moms, you know. Yeah. And it's like this this gated community in Orange County of these um, blonde rich women. You know. Yes. So that's. So true about the kind of Frankenstein, yes, Asian, the Frankensteinization, <laughs> <laughs> the way that we build these hybrid elements and come up with a hit TV show, and the way that it happened with the Real Housewives was it was originally developed as a fly on the wall documentary, and the working title was Behind the Gates, and it was yes. a producer called Scott Dunlop who. Mm. I actually interviewed a few years ago because no. I insisted when I worked at The Observer that they had to let me write a piece about The Real Housewives. And and I honestly, I really, I had to wage almost like a political campaign to get them to say yes, but they did eventually. And Scott Dunlop, his, name's a, his name is still on all of the credits. Mm-hmm. So he lived in Orange County and he got to know Vicky Gunvalson, who is the OG of all of the housewives. Who, I love the ugliness of these names, by the way. Yes. I find that very... <laughs> <laughs> like the the audible yeah. grossness of saying what say it again? Vicky Gunvalson. It's <laughs> I know. If you read that name in a novel, you'd think, oh, the author could have tried a bit exactly. harder. If you were reading like a Jackie Collins name. novel about a woman who like escaped her small town past and then like became a star, and then her old name was Vicky Gundelson, yes, and like her new name is Vicky Starcatcher. Exactly, <laughs> you you'd be like, that's a bit on the nose. Exactly. Yeah. Come on, Jackie. You know. Yeah. But go on. <laughs> so Vicky Gunvalson, which is her actual name, was um, she was an interesting woman because she lived behind the gates in this very privileged community. And she was selling insurance because a lot of the women didn't work. And as soon as Scott Dunlop met her, he was like, oh, she's going to be TV gold. Mm. And he got together a series of women and the documentary's intention was to show what life was like behind the gates of this community, this mm-hmm. very elite community in Republican-leaning Orange County. Mm-hmm. And it never really got anywhere, but he shot loads and loads of footage and it ended up in the vaults at Bravo where a junior producer called Andy Cohen found the footage And thought, I wonder if we have something here. And it was him who was a fan of Desperate Housewives who was like, oh, maybe we've got the real life version of that. And he edited it differently and spliced it together so that it was no longer this sort of fly on the wall documentary narrative. Although if you go back to the first ever season, there's still it, it, there is still that element to it. Uh-huh. It's a bit like watching The Office. <laughs> yeah, right, this is The Office. Right. But Andy's genius was to come up with the idea for the testimonial, which is which had never been done before, I don't think in reality TV, which is where cast members are filmed after the event. And they are talking to camera and they are being interviewed by the producer about how they experienced that event and what they feel about it. And that That was really the debut of that. I think I believe it was. And that show became 
The Real Housewives, it was Andy's title mm. and it became a hit and then it spawned several other franchises. But really where the franchise took off was The Real Housewives of New York, which I think was the second one to launch. And that was the one, I think, because Sex and the City was mm-hmm. popular around then. That it was, was the winding one that really, down at that point. Well, that was yeah. the one that really captured the zeitgeist. And yeah. you are completely right that there is still vanishing a little space on our screens to follow the lives of women in that, I mean, forget 40 plus, but like 50 or 60 plus. And that's part of what I love and I'm passionate about with Real Housewives is that you see these women in all of their complicated glory. They sometimes act so badly and so unreasonably. They shriek and argue and fall out with their friends and then they'll make up. And But there's there's a sort of overstory, which is these are women who end up, if they're really good housewives, being unapologetic about who they are. Mm. And they're sort of fighting for their own identities Mm. in a cultural landscape where we don't give women like that enough time, attention or airplay. So I've never watched another TV programme that shows the reality of um, divorcing as a widow, like, oh no, sorry, not to, dating as a widow or dating post-divorce, going through menopause, like what, obviously that's all becoming much more talked about now, Mm. but Real Housewives was the first place I saw a lot of this and it was definitely the first place that I saw the reality of fertility treatment and you asked about where I found the franchise and where I was in my life. The Real Housewives were being aired many, many months after it aired in the States on Bravo on ITVB as it then was. ITVB. And I was married to my ex-husband, not particularly happily, and going through fertility treatment unsuccessfully. And The Real Housewives was my comfort watch. And it was on an episode of OC that I saw Megan King Edmonds, she was then, injecting herself with an IVF injection. And again, that's we've become a lot more used to that now. But this mm. is going back to um, 2014, it would have been 2014. And I was bowled over by that. And that kind of, that that drew me in. And at the time I was working for The Observer and I often was sent to the States to do interviews and it can be quite a discombobulating thing to be sent to America and you've got a junket interview or I was doing a lot of sort of um, reportage work and I was there for quite sort of disparate amounts of time in various different locations and the thing that would always anchor me was going to my mm. hotel room and finding a channel that showed The Real Housewives and I loved it. And just to bring that story to a close, Andy Cohen, that brilliant junior producer who spotted the talent yes. that was on the cutting room floor, is now the daddy of the franchise. Yes. He's the Even most I know extraordinary that yeah. man. Yeah, he's best friends with Sarah Jessica Parker. Yeah. Um, he hosts a live New Year show with Anderson Cooper in the States. And he oversees all of the franchises still, but he also hosts a lot of the reunions and he hosts a wildly popular show in the States called Watch What Happens. Yes, that I have heard of too. Yeah, which is where they get, I mean, they get A-list names. Julianne Moore's been on there. They also get Housewives on. And basically what happens is in the States, they'll 
air an episode of The Real Housewives or one of the Bravo programmes and then Andy Cohen will host Watch What Happens and it's a live show and it's got two guests generally and it's him getting the guests to play silly games, asking them how they felt about the show they just watched. It's like a sort of live goggle box but with mm-hmm. A-listers. Mm-hmm. And that's how I got into the franchise and that's your potted history of how it came about. <laughs> <laughs> thank you and thank you. <laughs> I have so much useless knowledge on this. I think it's very useful because um, what I've noticed, so um, my experience of this franchise has been, because I I think you can't say that you're not a fan of reality TV anymore because there's so much of it that everybody's a fan of something. So I think it's almost become a secondary kind of horoscope of like what sort of reality TV you find yourself naturally drawn to so I'm like the the amount of knowledge that you have about the Real Housewives franchise I would say I have similar knowledge of the RuPaul's Drag Race franchise which I have never watched well I think we just look for different things in reality TV I think like one of my most toxic traits is that I'm like kind of obsessed with excellence and um like I I think it can be toxic in that like um like if I have a a friend who's like a talented baker I will insist they open a cake shop when when they don't want to open a cake shop I'm mm. I just like want I'm I'm a pusher you know I and I don't like that about myself but like the the thing about RuPaul's Drag Race that sort of awakens something in me is that like these are people who so saying dance act and they are like pushing their resources to the absolute brink in order to achieve like mm. this excellence that then gets to follow outside of the show because you can go buy that t-shirt see them alive and and see that excellence transfer onto real life and i find that really exciting what do you think like if if the real housewives is your sort of horoscope of choice is it just that you're interested in women and conflict and women of a certain age having these big lives or do you think there's something else underneath it Great question. First of all, the reason that I haven't watched RuPaul's Drag Race is not because I don't want to. It's just because I haven't found the time that I believe it 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 would take. Yeah, it, it demands. Would, yeah. Like in the best possible way, I want to be able to have like enough time because I know that it is such a cultural phenomenon and has done so much for various communities. And I really, I'm desperate to get into it. And it, it's almost, but you I'm almost intimidated by it now. Be, because that's the thing. Because it's the same that's thing, That's why those two, I mean, it, it, what's it, so the reason I brought it up, um, not just because of the horoscope theory, but also because of the, I realised even watching 10 episodes of Real Housewives that like, oh, my knowledge of Drag Race has now been underscored. It's like I've gotten like, I had ivory keys and now I have the ebony keys as well yes. in order to play the bass notes because so many references, songs and jokes that appear on Drag Race, guest judges are also on the Real Housewives franchise. Yes. And so I feel like I've subtly been getting that context through the years. But it does seem that like, for years and years, I was like able to be dimly aware of like who Mimi Leakes was or yes. whatever in it because she was like a snatch game sort of uh, character um, and then there came this tipping point maybe because of COVID where it Housewives suddenly became unavoidable mm-hmm. and like that acronym the Roni acronym was everywhere and these these whole even like if I see a meme online I can just look at it and know it must be a Housewives thing because of how it's shot and how the women look yes like why why do you think it suddenly became unavoidable? Sorry, I, I realise yeah. that I just asked you three questions yes, that are my all big. And then there's the unavoidable yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, I th- let me do the unavoidable thing first. I think yeah. it became joyously unavoidable <laughs> because of social media partly. Yeah. So the fact that social media really started 
taking off and ramping up and you then had access to gifts and memes like it's always mm. been a bigger thing in the states than it is over here but because of social media it meant that our culture could be more globalized it could mm-hmm. be more sort of globally subsumed into our, our very ether so i think the gif and meme culture had a massive part to play and nini leaks is prime amongst them like mm. you'll you'll see if you go sorry, for is a it gif Mimi or it's nini it's sorry. Sorry. I didn't, no i didn't hear whether it was an use yeah. an m or an n um and then i think you're probably right as well that lockdown had its part to play mm-hmm. and there's been the advent of hey you which is yes a which i downloaded service. in order to okay. oh, did you yeah. oh bless you it's very good value though i always I'll say like, this, is not an ad. <laughs> yeah. this is not an ad but hey you so when i was starting watching housewives way back in itvb days um there there was no way of watching current episodes mm. you had to wait a few months there was always a few months time lag and it's sort of what happens on netflix now if you watch below deck on netflix mm. you will have got um, old episodes and so Below Deck for the uninitiated yeah. <clears throat> excuse me for the uninitiated is also part of the Bravo verse but it's a completely different format and it's luxury yachts and it's a sort of upstairs downstairs format mm-hmm. where you follow the staff on the luxury yacht and the clients and it's absolutely brilliant um, but you'll get you'll get older episodes on Netflix hey you for Four ninety nine a month. So basically the price of a couple of coffees. Mm-hmm. You get all of your favourite American reality TV shows the same day as they air in the States. And that's amazing. Do we have an because- offer code for our listeners? <laughs> <laughs> I wish. I love them so much because they've honestly just like made my life so much happier. And, and, and that is amazing because then what you can do, then you have access to all of these spin-off podcasts. So mm-hmm. some of my favourite podcasts are American podcasts that analyse The Real Housewives. And suddenly you can then listen to them and you can be part of this community. And the, and I think there's been a huge community that's grown around it. And then, yes, lockdown and the fact that we were all looking for stuff to watch, but stuff that we could find comforting that was a big time commitment like yeah we wanted the big time commitment yes. because we wanted to yeah. watch several episodes and realize that half the week had gone and selling sunset really took off in lockdown yes. as well and selling sunset is hugely informed by the real housewives of beverly hills particularly one of the cast members called erica jane who really did bring high fashion mm. and a sense of star presence before she was actually a star to the game of reality TV. And so someone like Christine Quinn, Erica Jane ran so that Christine Quinn could walk, I would say. Mm -hmm. So I think all of those things came into play. And in terms of my particular horoscope, and I love that phrase for this, what appeals to me about Housewives is absolutely the dynamic between women and women of a certain age where they are generally... just a touch older than I am. I mean, some of them, like Crystal on Beverly Hills, are now my age. Mm -hmm. But I have genuinely learned so much from seeing how they interact. And what I mean by that is one of the things that I value about reality TV, and whenever I have interviewed someone from reality TV on How to Fail, I've noticed this, is that producers, obviously they can be malevolent and shape storylines in the worst possible way. But they will always encourage you as a cast member to express your feelings and to name them, to put your feelings and emotions into Mm. words. And 
it means that very often you get someone who's incredibly emotionally literate, but also really quite brave about the things that they do because they're forced into confrontations a lot of the time. So for me, as a conflict avoidant, emotionally repressed British woman (laughs) who is phobic of ever saying to anyone who is a friend, you know, I really didn't like it when you did that. It really upset me. Like Mm. that awe feels so terrified when I've upset someone I consider a friend that I can barely speak about it. It has taught me so much about being able to articulate that and about true friendship, not being about just keeping the peace, but being about having the safety to fall out and repair that rupture and then be closer as a result. And then alongside all of that, alongside the community that I've mentioned and the the multiverse nature of it, like there, there's the, the spin-offs. The, like it just, it's so consuming in the most beautiful way. That that kind of storytelling, and I say this in all seriousness, reminds me of Dickens. <laughs> <laughs> and I tell you why, because it's epistolary. Because you know, you there are just it's epistolary. There are so many instalments. And there are so many subplots that take your heart. It's just extraordinary. The characters, it really rewards the investment that you give it. And it's part of the reason that I listen to The Archers for decades. Like that, I get a great deal of comfort from knowing that this story is sprawling and vast and inclusive. Wow. <laughs> But no, this okay. So okay, so I think to go back to Dickens. Sorry, because to go quickly finish your point. Yeah. So I think for me, the best reality that my kind, my Horace, my star sign of reality television is interactions between people, like day to day. It's why the first series of Big Brother was so phenomenal. Like just seeing how people interact, I find fascinating. I'm less interested in like the contest reality TV trope. Mm, mm. The the exception to that is the traitors because that's a beautiful oh my fusion. God, I can't wait for it tonight. I'm it's, so excited. I mean, neither. I'm like, I keep refreshing <laughs> iPlayer. I'm like, when's the next episode? I know. Gavin's cancelling a client dinner. So I, I'm not going out tonight either, precisely for that reason. <laughs> I, there's something because that's like a, a, the interaction between people, the mind games, the games mm. that people play. The like how we see each other, what yeah. we perceive, what our judgment is, what our prejudice is, and then there's, there's a, com- a competition alongside it. So that's my star sign. Good, I love that. I love. Thank you for um, taking that with the serious that I truly meant it. Because yeah. I really do think that there there is so much reality TV that you can divide it into the twelve houses. But it's <laughs> like um, the, the, I wanted to circle back to that Dickens thing that you mentioned because it's true, obviously, in in the sense that like these are like in the same way with Dickens, they as you say they um, they're episodic. Um, and and when you read a Dickens book, and to be perfectly frank, the only Dickens books I've ever read have been on audio and by celebrities. <laughs> so that's yeah. what, that's what it takes for me to read Dickens. But it's Which like Dickens it, would have laughed, by the way. I, he was I a real so. performer of yeah. his own work. <laughs> I think it's so. So you'll have that sense of like, okay, here's the overarching plot of Great Expectations, but also there's like this kind of random thing yeah. with um, Pip's brother-in-law and uh, that will kind of fritter off to nowhere or nothing because it's just Dickens picking up and dropping things and that's kind of fun actually and it's the same thing with Real Housewives yes. in that there's like um, a big story about someone going to prison and a small story about a renovation and that's just kind of like tipping away the entire season um, but my sort of challenge to that would then be um, when people were reading Dickens during his time um, 
the the structure of how the story was being told was not affecting the story itself. Yes. So the fact that this was being in a periodic <clears throat> newspaper every yes. week was not was not pushing in on the story itself. Whereas the framework of Real Housewives pushes in on the housewives themselves. It's not pure conflict, really, yeah. because like there was one... The, I, I experienced so many emotions when I was watching these 10 episodes and some of them were just like a camp glee yes. and, and some were, you know, like more troubled because I think I... Because I'm a total novice to the series, I don't have the context with wh- and the language with which to watch it with. It's like, am I watching this as a documentary as I'm watching it? I'm watching it as something that's funny or like what what, what are the... Mm. What what is the lens I'm supposed to be going in with this? And so creating that lens myself as I watched it was interesting. But there was this um, storyline on Atlanta, and I can't remember the girl's name. I think it's not Fedra. It's someone, <laughs> a name that's like Fedra. Um, uh, is it um, Sheree? Kenya? No, it's another P name. Portia. Portia. Yeah. She is receiving anger management therapy yes. at one point um, because she has caused so many scenes and been violent or whatever in the past. And it struck me as kind of like odd that there was this woman who was having this genuine emotional reaction um, about why she becomes so angry and why things get out of hand. But she's also cast on a show that both rewards, encourages, prods and celebrates the fact that she is creating these moments. And I was like, well... I don't know. It, it sat strangely with me. So uh, there are so many things there. First of all, I would counter that Dickens's storytelling was actually okay. affected by the structure <laughs> because because he was. I mean, I, there's a whole other thing that I could talk about with Dickens, but he he was a phenomenal guy. <laughs> you know, I don't know if you know, but what the a, Andy what Cohen a of his day. <laughs> In many ways, he was. He had an enormous amount um, of dependence, um, partly because of his own tendency to have affairs with inconvenient people. But um, he put out a lot of content. So he had to write to earn a living and to support his family. And he put an enormous pressure on himself to keep writing. So at the same time as he was writing extraordinary novels like Great Expectations and Little Dorrit, Bleak House, he was also a theatre reviewer and he would walk from his home in North London all the way in to like review a theatre, review a play in the theatre and then file, walk all the way back and then file for the next days. Anyway, I'm getting I'm getting lost on this No, tangent. I love this part of history of Dickens yes. within this real housewives. There's, 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 there's a great biography. <laughs> there's a great biography of him by Claire Tomalin. But he, he was almost obsessive and a bit and a, and a workaholic in the sense that he knew he had to earn this money and he knew he had to feed the beast of both the public and the publication so a lot of his novels as you say were published in parts in magazines mm-hmm. and some weeks he wouldn't really he wouldn't know he was basically always running out of time and he wouldn't know where the plot of little dorrit was going but mm-hmm. he knew that he had a deadline and he had to fill it and so therefore he was going to write this complete tangent on a minor character without really knowing where the plot was going. So do you see what I mean? So mm-hmm. the structure sort of did inform it. Yeah, and it's I guess, why, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, and it's why sometimes Dickens just does go off on one about something that doesn't seem completely pertinent to the plot. <laughs> but also why he's brilliant at pacing because he knows that he has to keep your attention mm-hmm. so that you buy the magazine next week. Mm-hmm. So the structure, obviously, of any reality TV show does definitely affect the interplay that we as a viewer then see on screen Mm. on real housewives i think it affects it 
well, I think there was a sweet spot about five to eight years ago where it affected the cast members less than on other reality TV shows. And I think it's because at that point in time, they were genuine friendship groups. So they Mm. all kind of knew each other as they really were before the cameras were there. Mm. And if anyone started being a bit fake for the cameras, they would be called out for that by their friendship group. So the friendship group being organic was an important part of it. I also think that um, America in general is more TV and screen literate and very quickly it feels like they forget the cameras are there <laughs> yes it really does more so than they would i think in the Here, uk yeah and actually i i watch i have watched some of the real housewives of cheshire but it's not as good as the american franchise and i think that's part of the issue we're all mm. far more aware and self-conscious in the in the uk she said mm-hmm offering a sweeping generalisation. Don't at me. (laughs) Not all of us, but some of us. Um, And I think they become so used to the production team being part of their lives that it doesn't affect it in the way of them being super conscious of them all of the time. But obviously there is like a little element where it's weird. You know, you'll get a call sheet for a day and they'll say, right, you're filming that scene with Phaedra where mm. you're talking about your anger management issues. And mm-hmm. so that obviously is is not a natural setting, even though the emotions that arise as part of that might be completely natural, authentic emotions, and often they are. In terms of the anger management issue and sort of being rewarded for bad behaviour, um, I think that is an issue. But I think that Bravo take their duty of care quite seriously. Really? I think they have started to do so a lot more, partly because of Bethany Frankel, um, now not a housewife, but launched recently what she called a reality reckoning, which was all about unionisation of reality TV stars and duty of care. And it's had mixed reactions, partly because people think it's just Bethany being bitter about not being on the show anymore. But it's also but this is made like some the, valid points, yeah. which is like like Love Island. Mm-hmm. The first seasons of Love Island, contestants were encouraged to drink lots of alcohol. They were allowed to yeah. smoke and stuff. That's changed massively over the years, as has representation of body diversity. Not enough, but it's still changed a bit. And just like if you take reality TV as a genre, the amount of suicides that have happened over the years is, is astonishing kind of thing. and, and Horrendous. Yeah. And I think... I mean, no one can ever fully understand the magnitude and complexity of the tragedy of a life that ends by suicide. Yeah. And I also think there is, it must be a really difficult thing to come to terms with, that level of overnight fame. If you go away to a Love Island villa and you're Mm. behind closed doors essentially for six weeks and then you emerge and you're either loved or hated and you're being asked to do eight nightclub appearances a week and you don't have the facilities to cope with that that's that's incredibly toxic and you're 20 and and you don't know who you are and the only people that you experienced this thing with are also your competitors now so the only people you can relate to are competing for the same boohoo partnership as you are yeah Housewives isn't like that because it's not a contest. Yeah. But I would never, I mean, not that I've been asked, but I would <laughs> never be, I don't have the the fundamental self-esteem that I would need to cope with that level of tension. Because actually, you're not just filming the show, you then have to contend with the social media mm-hmm. fallout afterwards. And I think 
the way a lot of the most successful housewives deal with it is that they do develop a sort of Sasha Fierce character yes. who they inhabit on screen rather than bringing their whole selves to play. And that's an issue because then as a viewer, you run the risk of feeling cheated that you're not getting the quote unquote real them without realising that yeah. the whole thing is such a fabrication anyway. Um but I definitely that's that's a that's a point that you can't get away from is that reality TV does have a toxic underbelly if it is taken to extremes and if behaviour or if enabling behaviour by the producers is not nipped in the bud, that is very dark. And I think that the producers of reality television have got a lot better at noticing that now and changing their behaviours, but there's still a long way to go. Having said that, I think that any entertainment we consume has some dark side. Yeah. You know... Anything we consume has a dark exactly. side. Exactly. Yeah. And it's about your own moral guidance and what you're willing to engage with and what you're not. Like, I didn't love Tiger King, which mm. everyone lost their shit over at the beginning of lockdown, because that felt really... Um, exploitative and purient of yeah. uh, my sense was these were people who didn't quite understand what they were getting themselves into and I didn't like that feeling whereas when I watch Housewives I feel now that most of the women absolutely know what they're doing yeah. and they are willing to strike this deal because it gives them profile it gives their businesses profile and it's fun and you get to work with your friends a lot of the time and so I have less of an issue with that but there's definitely still an issue Why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Can we talk about this Bethany person? Yeah, she's fascinating. <laughs> because like... Shvelo Scorpio. Oh. <laughs> Something I know I'm a Scorpio on your birthday. I am, like the 10th of November. Wow. Oh, sorry. <laughs> every, every, <laughs> sorry. Everyone I've ever um, been in love with has been Scorpio. Oh my yeah. gosh, really? It's so weird. Every major boyfriend. Is so Gavin a Scorpio? He is, yeah. When's his birthday? November. <laughs> The first. <laughs> okay, I tell you, I love an yeah. early November Scorpio. I think they're the best, obviously. <laughs> Completely objective. That's amazing. Can I tell you my, I've had three my worst with take of all time? Yeah, no, it won't be worth It'll be the best. This is I like, love that you love Scorpios. So many, no, so many people hate they get, us. They get a really bad rap. I know, and actually we're just ferociously loyal. Like, I will bear a grudge until the end of time, but I... There are good things about me. Okay, carry on. What's your worst? <laughs> Do you take? know what, Liz? There are good things. About Thank you. <laughs> um, this is like uh, this is a theory so stupid that my nicest friend called me 
a dumb bitch when okay. I told her. I was like, I, I was like, I just have no patience for anyone <laughs> who has a birthday that's after like like the tenth. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. When someone's like, I'm like, is, because, it, is it the 17th? Is it the yes. 18th? I'm like, get alive. <laughs> so true. Because it's actually quite hard to remember. I like, know. There's so many 20s. Because I'm the 7th of May, Gavin's the 1st of November, and we're like, this, it's, we're on the right side of history. It's so funny. I have never heard anyone say that, but you're so right. Like, I've got two friends. My best friend is born on April the 25th. And I've got another close friend born on April the 28th. And I'm like, I get confused all the I fucking know, time. I know. <laughs> what is that about? Yeah. My, my brother's birthday, I have never remembered it. <laughs> it's, I still can't even remember it. Um, but yeah, that's just my theory. And I'm glad you agree. <sighs> oh, okay. um, Bethany. So Bethany. <laughs> um, so I first episode I watched that had Bethany featured in it yes. was Scary Island. Yes. Um, which I found fascinating. I think that was the when my sort of brain started bubbling a bit, being like, there is something more here yeah. than I thought. Because I I was watching, you know, these women spend money on holidays and I was like, I'm kind of bummed out by this a little. Uh, or maybe there was another episode where it was just like people in the Bahamas at a mm. boutique trying on sunglasses and I was like what am I doing this for yes my one wild and precious life and then um uh Kelly who was the former model who was married to Demarshal Yeh she was married to Gilles Ben-Simon Gilles Ben-Simon I knew it was someone who was featured by name in The Devil Wears Prada yes and who also I think appeared on America's Next Top top Model which which I would come back and talk about any day of the week oh we did an episode on it before but I would do a second one Juno Dawson did one okay I'm going to listen to that yeah I would honestly I would go back and I would just watch one classic series and pick it all apart the way they did with Sentimental City so we'll revisit that okay (laughs) Um, but uh I was watching it and I was like, okay, this 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 Kelly person who I vaguely recognised from being a top model fan. Yes. Um, she was like dimly in the recesses of my brain, particularly when she started with the camera. Um, and she was like going after this Bethany person yes. all the time. And I couldn't understand what was happening except that I loved it. Okay. And the whole thing of like, are you a chef or are you a cook? And like her sort of constantly taking down Bethany. And then it sort of got to this, and it escalated to this level. I was like, oh, maybe I wasn't right to be rooting for Kelly because it seems like she's very disturbed. Um, and then I, I sort of understood from you that the context is, is that Bethany almost got too big too quickly mm. and now is on another stratosphere. Yes. And a lot of the other housewives got jealous of yes. Bethany and couldn't hide it, although they tried to. And Kelly um, was a later joiner of the Real Housewives of New York. And she's a she's a curious person, Kelly. Yeah. <laughs> like having recently watched the Real Housewives Ultimate Girls trip, which is a spin-off version yes. where they basically get all stars from various <laughs> franchises and take them on a glamorous holiday. And Kelly was on that recently. I like her a lot more now. I think she's one of those people, you know, who is quite childlike in their lack of social context. Like mm. they, my read on her is... She'll be the same whoever she's talking to and she'll say what she thinks even if it's really rude and even if it does her a massive disservice because there's just... It's not that there's no filter. It's just that she's like quite childlike in how she sees the world. She's quite kind of innocent in an old way. Very literally. Yes, she's she's a literalist. That's the perfect 
perfect way of expressing it. Like a lot of the time it feels like she's not understanding the nuance. Okay? There was a part where she was like, I really laughed at this, where she was like, um, someone said, oh, there's no wine here. We're going to have to stamp grapes with our feet. And she just goes, those are my grapes. <laughs> I'm really concerned. <laughs> really? Yeah. I know. So Kelly... <laughs> I think what happened was Bethany was the cool girl and Kelly wanted to be liked by her and Bethany mm. because she is so clever. Is just, she though? I think she is. I keep is. reading and hearing about the cleverness but then I'm looking at I'm just like this is just a brunette woman. <laughs> like, I, just... I think you need to watch more of her testimonials because she's I always see. so funny and clever. In okay. And I am a Bethany apologist and some people absolutely hate Bethany now because she's mm-hmm. turned against housewives as, right. a, as a concept. But I still have a lot of time for her. I find her endlessly fascinating. And um, she and Kelly are just completely different kinds of people. And the preamble to Scary Island was that Bethany and Kelly had had this argument in a New York basement bar where Kelly had turned up just seemingly a bit out of it and had launched into Bethany and said... Uh, you're down here and signalled with her hand where Mm. Bethany was and I'm up here and signalled with her hand where she was. And then Scary Island happened and subsequently that episode, that couple of episodes, they've become part of the Housewives mythology. If if you ever meet a Housewives fan and you say Scary Island, they will instantly know what you're talking about because Kelly acted in such an unusual way (laughs) during those episodes. And... There's been a lot of post-match analysis and obviously various like deconstructions where podcasters have spoken to producers to get the inside story. There's been an oral history book published about just Scary Island. No, but there's a whole chapter which delves in Scary Island. It's absolutely amazing. It's called Not All Diamonds and Rosé by Dave Quinn. Lovely. (laughs) And and I think it's... Not All Diamonds and Rosé by Dave Quinn, that was available. It's actually not published in the UK, but I got it on Apple Books and I... I read it voraciously. Um, and um, I think I'm remembering this right, that Kelly actually had a bit of a psychotic break and and was maybe on various sort of medication that didn't mix with alcohol. Yeah. I'm saying all of this allegedly as far as I remember. Um, but yes, it was quite a sort of strange thing to witness. And at some point during one of those programmes, you see Sonia Morgan saying... Yeah. We're going to leave it now. It's not fair. She's not understanding. We're just going to let her go go to bed. And sort of tries to diffuse the situation yes yeah that's when I decided I enjoyed Sonia Sonia is she seems one of a kind consistently she seems like she's the most fun and also the person who will say enough is enough she is fun she's also one of the most genuine yeah and in so many ways epitomizes a specific kind of New York so when yeah. we first meet her, she's she's divorced from the heir to the J.P. Morgan yes. fortune. And she still calls herself Sonia Morgan. And she's obsessed with that legacy because that was the sort of life that she had always wanted and felt was her due. And the tragedy of Sonia is that she's never got over the fact that she doesn't live that life anymore. Right. Her life is not one of luxury yachts and holidays in the south of France and endless funds. Her oh. life is now... She's been... She was living in this brownstone, right. uh, this kind of upper east side brownstone for a really long time, which on the outside looked like an extraordinary house. But when the cameras went in, there were a lot of like dusty reading glasses oh. on like unwashed bathroom towels. And, so, so, and you know, this kind of those sort of 
aristocratic houses you get in England that are sort of slightly shambolic mm. and they've got a piece of cutlery from Cathay Pacific Airlines. Like it was a lot of that. It was like faded grandeur. And for years, Sonia was trying to sell it and then and she was in real money troubles. And we saw all of this and then finally she sold it, but she hasn't found anywhere else. And so she's like living with friends oh, and stuff. And wow. so there's this like tragic element to her. And yet, in spite of that, she is um, very much... She's so buoyant and very much wants to raise the women around her, which is actually a really lovely quality. Yeah. But then so much there I wanted to get onto um, that you've raised is that so the money of it all. Yeah. You do make money from being on the show, but the money it costs to be on the show seems to almost invalidate that. That's a very good point. And um, it's okay. So... So the surgery, the clothes, the holidays, that's not paid for by Bravo. The holidays are. So a cast trip, even though they say, oh, so-and-so has organised it, production will pay for it. Okay, okay. Which is why the most successful franchises get to go abroad and the least successful franchises will get like a mini break in Austin, Texas. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And... um, when Housewives started out, obviously behind the gates, the OC, there was a certain amount of wealth. Yes. Um, but there was a kind of middle point where it wasn't, yes, everyone was kind of wealthy and privileged, but it wasn't as ostentatious or as showy. I think that really changed with the latter seasons of Beverly Hills when we got Erica Jane, mm-hmm. who is this... Again, she's had an extraordinary narrative arc where she got a lot of... She was married at the time we first met her to the uh, to the lawyer made famous by the movie Erin Brockovich. That guy, Tom Girardi, portrayed <laughs> okay. by Albert Finney in that movie, yes, was yes. her husband. Okay, Much older, they met when she was a cocktail waitress. She's this sort of glamorous trophy wife, but again, very smart. And so almost all of these women, it appears, come from working class backgrounds. And then they married into dynasties or wealth true. or celebrity. That's actually an amazing point that I hadn't really... Yeah, I think you might be right. Have, uh, I'm just... I'm trying to think if there's anyone like genuinely... Yeah, you're probably right. Wow. That's and I guess a really that's, interesting element. That's where the housewivery of it all comes. Because many of these women, it seems, are now divorced and lots of them are single. And lots of them so, have been to jail. And lots of and them have been to Teresa jail. Judice, Judice on Real Housewives of New Jersey. Is, is she that, the one with the incredibly low hairline? Yes, exactly. <laughs> is Which, that a wig or is that just her head? It's her hair. But you'll see, you'll see her hairline get higher and higher over the oh, course I'm of the glad. season. She has okay. more and more work done. Great. But um, the ostentation of the wealth is more recent and that's been massively hyped up by shows like Selling Sunset. Right. Um, And they're always now on various franchises, there is scope for being less extremely wealthy. So it depends what Mm. franchise you go for. Mm -hmm. Beverly Hills is very much about like designer clothes and extraordinary homes. But if you go to Potomac... um, There's a a bit more diversity. Yeah, like who on earth? (laughs) Hardly anyone's got glamour. Well, Real Housewives of Washington DC. They did have once. They had one season and it got taken off air because there were two grifters on that who managed to blag their way into an Obama state dinner with no invitation. No, (laughs) and it was this huge security brief breach. (gasps) Yeah. Do you see Obama? Uh, You don't, but you get to see like the reception. You don't. I, I think you see photos of them afterwards meeting about it. It's extraordinary. Anyway, <laughs> but then and then um, Salt Lake City, which I sent you, mm. there's it's the 
the cause of some controversy at the moment because there's a character called Monica yes. who doesn't have a lot of disposable income, but but talked her way onto that show because she's just so riveting mm. to watch. So now it's a bit more. I mean, it's not <laughs> it's not a diverse representation uh, by all means, but it depends what franchise you look at in terms of the amount of money on display. Because it was interesting watching the Atlanta episodes. And that, I'm not sure how far along that series actually is, but um, I, I felt like I was getting much more family and much more people at home. Yeah. Like, which I actually really, I found it very cosy yes. and really funny. Like, yeah. pe- the people on it are genuinely funny and, like, quite nice to watch as opposed to, like, people just being thick and rich. I don't like watching people being thick and rich, no. which is why I didn't like The O.C. Yes, <laughs> and I, The O.C. is my least favourite franchise, I think mm. I would say, um, of the American lot. Atlanta is one of my top three and it's a it's in many ways a really beautiful franchise because when that first aired we're going back uh, I, I imagine it would have been around like 2008 but to see a group of predominantly black women being successful and talking about their successful businesses. One of the cast members is Candy Burris, who wrote No Scrubs for TLC. Like, she is incredible. And Atlanta is so much more about community than many of the other franchises. Mm -hmm. And it really changed the game for a lot of American TV viewers to the extent that I think Michelle Obama talked about how important it was in terms of representation. Beyonce quoted one of the lines delivered by Kenya Moore, I'm gone with the wind fabulous. <laughs> um, I think Ashley was about to get on stage at the Super Bowl. Like it really changed the culture. And the women of Atlanta were highly aware in those first few seasons of not wanting to fall into the prejudicial, lazy stereotype of the angry black woman. Mm-hmm. And there are a number of reunions where they do some beautiful work discussing the arguments they'd had during the season and about how they don't want to be that for each other anymore. That actually there is something so much more important, which is elevating black sisterhood and showing how they can be to the world as a whole. And and so there's a real like profundity to Atlanta that yeah. some of the others might miss. It seemed like that there's like the casting of it. It's just like everyone on that show has like legitimate charisma. Yes. As well, I feel like on some of the other franchises and maybe I'm wrong because I haven't watched these whole series and like I think on every series there's a rotating person like there's a person whose job it is to sort of be the banker of information. There's a person <laughs> whose job it is to sort of like listen to the queen bee and sort of like translate her emotions to the camera and so you get a lot of people who just aren't that fun or funny to watch Mm. like that woman who was at Scary Island that very thin faced blonde woman who didn't like getting a photo taken I remember looking at her being like why are you here? (laughs) Do you mean Alex McCord? Is that who that is? Oh my gosh but Alex (laughs) I love your description of her yes but also you have to watch more like you have to watch her whole introduction because Oh my god! I, I I don't want to ruin it for you. Okay. Like Alex and so, her husband Simon, when they are introduced to Real Housewives of New York, they live in Brooklyn, and yeah. the way that some of these women talk about Brooklyn is is like it's it's Scunthorpe. It's like the arse end of no, not that Scunthorpe is, but it's like for them to have to travel to Brooklyn is in their heads like them having to travel to Scunthorpe, and and Simon and Alex are these sort of arrivistes who really want to be accepted by the highest echelons of New York society. And right. it's it, it's just, it's like watching Becky Sharp 
in, yes. in an adaptation of Thackeray's Vanity Fair, like the extents that they go to. And now neither of them is involved anymore. And Alex has retrained as a psychotherapist. They live in Australia and I follow them on Instagram. Oh, and Simon, good I for actually, her because she's not meant to be on television. She's like, not meant to. <laughs> she never was. Not that she isn't beautiful. She is. Yeah. But like, it's just like you I have nothing to contribute to this. Oh, but can <laughs> I, she, I, can I promise tell. you she does, <laughs> but in ways that you can't even imagine, but in ways that are about that awkwardness. That she yeah. actually just adds something so extraordinary to the mix. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much more to talk about. Well, how are we doing for time? Oh, I don't know. Um, it's one fourteen. Okay. Do you have a hard out at one thirty? Yes. Yes. Sorry. Um, in these last 15 minutes, what would you like to talk? Because I have so mm. many things to ask you about, but I feel I like if there are... Th- more questions. Okay, I'll ask yeah, you more I'm questions. loving answering your questions so much. <laughs> I'd like to hear a little bit more about the men on the show. Brilliant. Yes. Because it seems to me, and I do know that like someone was married to Kelsey Grammer at some point. Yes, Camille Grammer. You would have seen her on the dinner party episode of Beverly Hills. Yes. She was the one who hosted it. So that was the only episode of Real Housewives I'd ever seen before um, this project, which was, um, it was very... Uh, very sad and strange day of my life where my best friend Ryan, um, who I talk about on this podcast, his uh, dog Jinky was killed in, in a hit and run. And uh, it was a very sad day. And he and uh, he, I called him up and he was crying and I was like, should I come over? And he was like, I'm just watching Housewives. But yes, please come over. And I came over and I was like, right, whatever Ryan wants to do today, we do. And we just sat and watched Housewives and the psychic episodes came on. And it was just so... So strange. Was he re-watching? He was re-watching, yeah. I, Ryan, I so... I feel Ryan as yeah. my spirit animal because that's what I do when I am going through a really tough time or yeah. I need comfort. I re-watch yeah. Real Housewives. It was, um, it was so strange because he was like... I think there was a couple of episodes that were on before I like managed to assimilate and tap in because I mm. do think it takes a little while. Yeah. As I say, you have to almost like craft the lens in your own brain with which to watch it with. And then when it, we got to the psychic who was vaping and yelling at people, yes. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is genius. And then it was like as, as quickly as the lens was crafted, the lens shattered and I left the house and I never thought about it again. Yes. You know, um, but I, I yeah. So the, the men that appear on the show, it seems the husbands are dimly, they come in and out mm. Um, at one point there was an episode that you showed me where a woman went wedding dress shopping with her mother. Yes. She wasn't even getting she married. She wasn't even getting married. Tinsley Mortimer. She's recently got married. I'm so happy for her. To that all guy? She no. No. Someone completely new. She's off Housewives now. <laughs> Why cook when you can get room service? <laughs> um, what, what is their role, would yes. you say, apart from... You know, startup funding for yes. This. Well, talking about it now, I I think I understand that that's another reason I value housewives. Obviously, the the term housewife is quite elastic, really elastic now. and very loaded. And I just want to reassure anyone who hasn't watched it that the majority of these women are not housewives. It's a sort of ironic term, mm-hmm. and it was because of the desperate housewives um, popularity that they called it that. But the majority of them are really successful in their own right and have lots of businesses and mm-hmm. coconut water empires and so on and so forth. Okay, quickly, before that, yeah. I noticed when watching the Cabaret episode yes. that, and, and I've, I've seen it crop up here and there as well, that a lot of um, whether a business is quote-unquote real or not is the adjudicator of that is Bethany. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's very funny because Bethany 
is the most successful housewife of all time in terms of how she's managed to distill her housewife's experience into cold hard cash Mm -hmm. she's the most successful and so she is a legitimate businesswoman and a lot of the housewives are not legitimate businesswomen to begin with they might claim they are but you'll probably never have heard of the thing that they're shilling and so um so yes. So the cabaret thing, Bethany was like, like you know, holding her drink and nodding and looking around me like, oh, it's real. And I, I realised that like the way it was framed it was like, oh, this is important that Bethany thinks this is real. Yes. I found that fascinating. Well, that just speaks to that intra-group dynamic that I yeah. find completely compelling viewing. Yeah. And I think talking about, as they're officially known, the house husbands, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that makes me realise that Maybe another reason I value watching it is because the house husbands are there as supporting players. Yeah. And that's a reversal of so much of our popular culture historically, Mm. which is informed by the patriarchal system that we live in. And yes, in the housewives multiverse very often the husband is the sort of silent financial backer yeah (laughs) but there's still an interesting inversion of the power dynamic um and it depends again which franchise you watch how big a role the house husbands have Mm. on new jersey they relentlessly try and make the house husbands a thing and they give them their own scenes and their own testimonials and they'll follow them on the night out and i don't find it that compelling but it's partly because the house husbands in jersey are just as messy and petty as the women and they get into these huge like family arguments that just go on for literally for decades um but with someone like, so you're talking about the psychic dinner party yeah. in Beverly Hills where the psychic Alison Dubois goes around yes. the table and gives a psychic reading of everyone. And Beverly Hills is fascinating because you're right that Camille Grammer was married to Kelsey Grammer of Fraser fame mm-hmm. and he appears on the show. But it is quite obvious to the viewer from the moment he first appears that he absolutely hates his wife. <laughs> And that happens quite a lot, is that the viewer can see something before the participant can. And you could see quite clearly that there was something going on there and their marriage was on the rocks. But Camille was probably willfully blind to it for ages. And you follow the disintegration of their marriage. And it's it's, it's so sad, but so fucking relatable. That's the Mm. other thing. It's like anyone who has ever experienced a heartbreak from someone who pulled the wool over their eyes or pretended to be or wanted to be someone more than they actually were and then just ends up being so disappointing can relate to those moments mm. and the fascinating thing about that dinner party with Alison Dubois is that she gives a reading to Kyle Richards who again is one of like the OG housewives she related to Denise Richards no isn't Denise Richards interesting no, no relation but, oh really yeah I know there is a lot of relatives to famous people on, so I just took a punt, I think. Yes, and and that's so... No, so... um, I know Paris Hilton's aunt is in there somewhere. Yes, that's Kyle. Okay. Kyle's sister is... She's got two sisters, uh, Kim Richards. So Mm -hmm. Kyle and Kim were child stars. They, uh, I think they starred in The Parent Trap or something. Anyway, they were child stars. And their older sister, Kathy, married Rick Hilton and has Paris Hilton and Nikki Hilton are her daughters. So... um, and Kathy Hilton latterly has been on the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, which has been a whole Beverly Hills, which has been a whole other thing. But Kyle Richards was in many ways seen as the most 
relatable access point for a viewer into Beverly Hills. She seemed like the most normal one, the most stable one, the one with the happiest, most stable, mm. most contented marriage. She was married to Maurizio. He's renowned as one of the hottest house husbands of the franchise. Oh, he also has a spin-off show, by the way. He's a real estate mogul. And on Netflix, you can watch Buying Beverly Hills, I think it's called. And that's him and his agency and his daughters. And their marriage seemed really stable and they've got lovely kids and lovely home life. And Alison Dubois, the psychic, predicts in a shocking way in this scene that Maurizio will never be able to emotionally fulfil Kyle. Mm. And as soon as the kids have left home, their marriage will be over. And everyone's like... <gasps> That's so, that cannot possibly be true. And Carl's like, you don't know anything about me. How dare you? Anyway, fast forward. I don't know how many years it is. Let's say it's about eight, ten years. Wow. And very sadly, Carl Maurizio's marriage is on the rocks and the kids have grown up. And Kyle is now having quite possibly, all all signs point to it, um, a lesbian affair with a country and western singer. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Called Morgan. I know, and it's it's just like wildly fascinating. Again, this is also something that is highly relatable to so many people who will be, what, maybe not the country and western singer bit, but who'll be watching this show and seeing themselves, albeit high-octane, camp, incredibly wealthy versions mm. of themselves, but... The emotional truth is still there. Someone who is going through a marital separation after 20 plus years of seemingly contented family life will find so much comfort from watching this show. And and that's what makes me passionate about Housewives till the day I die. I I do see that in that like... People think they want to look at real life, but they don't. They want to look at sort of like a version of real life that has like the brightest colours and the contrast turned up really high so they can so everyone can see it from the back of the room almost or they or they want to look at something that isn't their life but has it's it's such such similarities it's a very precise mixture though and like if it goes wrong either way the show tanks which so many reality shows do and housewives doesn't but even watching that bizarre funeral scene Mm. which is like it's so it's such a like a you know, your basic sense of decency and morality is that you don't show up to somebody's husband's funeral with a camera crew and it's so bizarre and odd and, you know, intercutting it with flashbacks of these women's previous relationship and all that. But then that that woman, Jill, just sort of says, and I don't know this character at all, but saying like, she says, I've never been on my own before. Exactly. And it was just like, oh my God, that's so heartbreaking. And Jill actually asked for the cameras to be there, oh, partly right. because... Bobby loved the show. So there's a whole other yeah. element to that as well. Yeah. But exactly. Then you get this moment of raw emotional truth. This is a woman grieving her beloved husband of so many years. And I think my the thing that gets me up in the morning is the idea of connection. Yeah. <laughs> connection yeah. is the thing that informs everything that I do and want to put out into the world. And so that for me is is the the meeting point of the real housewives and my life. like there are, there are these moments of deep emotional truth mm. that connect us and that's such a beautiful thing and yes elements of it are so heightened and obviously it's edited and it's you know of course, a 40 yeah. minute show rather than a 40 year experience but I just get so much from that I get so much comfort and reassurance but also like a deeper understanding and um, an empathetic view into someone else's existence and besides all of that, it's just 
really fun to watch sometimes. It's, it's, <laughs> it's just very funny as well. It's very funny. And some of these women are the comedians of our age. Like, honestly, someone like Candice on Potomac or um, Nini Leakes or Portia on Atlanta or Kenya or Sheree, the way that their comebacks, the way they read each other, it, it can be, it's just their lines are just sort of extraordinary and funny and witty and I am so grateful for every single one of those women for opening the doors to their life I really am you've got me through a lot wow (laughs) well I I also feel like you know if even thinking about housewives in general it's like for so long women have been sort of the de facto rulers of the domestic sphere and the home and because the home is seen as the essentially the private place, that therefore women's contributions to society mm. become dwarfed. Because yeah. if the home is private and if the woman owns the home and rules the home, that means that therefore her struggles, her thoughts, her intimacies remain private as well. And I suppose it's like the public staging of that privacy. It feels like often like a perversion. Like yes. it feels like, oh, no, we shouldn't be seeing things like this. And then you have to think to yourself, should we not be seeing things like this because they're private and then because and is it are they private because they're female? Do you know exactly. What I mean? We've been conditioned not yeah. to think to think we must not see them because it exists behind this cloak of undignified yeah. secrecy and that's not for us who are important and are, we are ruling the world as yeah. men and the political class and therefore this is all just women's stuff. And I think you're so right, and it's a really beautiful point that it's a reclamation of what house, wife, home, woman yeah. might have historically meant. Yeah. Wow. We've got really deep. I know. And I am not apologetic about <laughs> I it. I me neither. I've loved it. Do you think you will carry on watching Housewives? That's the question. It's a good one. I, I predict what will happen is that I will forget to cancel Hey You and then I Excellent. will I will realise that they have taken like 20 quid from me and then I will try and sort of like sunk cost fallacy. I will start watching yeah. out of protest and then I will start really watching. Um, I could see myself following the Countess to the end yes. of the earth. Now, my note of caution is if you are starting from the beginning, which I think you should. So the first episodes of Real Housewives in New York you've got to remember like they were filmed going on 20 years ago so it Mm. seems a bit sort of grainy and stilted but just stick with it for I would say three and then you're in and you'll never want to leave Um, Atlanta just it just comes out of the gate running it's so extraordinary from the first ever episode you'll meet a character called Kim I can't wait to hear your voice notes about her Um, and then you'll get into the multiverse of it all, the spin-off shows like Vanderpump Rules, which was a spin-off from Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Yes, I've heard a lot about the Lisa Vanderpump person. Yes. But I don't know who she is. She's iconic. She's actually British. And yes. um, she moved over to the States and made it as a phenomenally successful restaurateur. She's no longer on the Housewives show, but she is on Vanderpump Rules, which was a spin-off show following the lives and loves of her wait staff in her various restaurants. Wow. And that became huge this time last year because there was what was termed the Scandaval where Tom Sandoval was discovered to have been cheating with his serious partner of nine years with 
a woman then called Raquel, now called Rachel Levis, um, who was within their friendship group, who was one of the close their closest friends. And that became huge. And that was another like big turning point for reality TV and hey, you subscribers, because it became that entered dialogue beyond the Bravo yes. community. And so once you're in Housewives, you have all of these other delights in store is basically what I'm saying. And that, hey, subscription, not an ad, cheap at, <laughs> at triple the price, I would say. <laughs> and if you don't want to subscribe, there's loads on Netflix. There's some early seasons of Beverly Hills on Netflix. Yes. Yes. Okay. I you have to I, stop me talking. I'm just, I, I literally will go on for hours. It, genuinely, you're just the best talker. I know. It's, it, and it's, it really is fascinating. And this is something I didn't think I could be fascinated by because I thought it was so out of my reality TV birth chart, if you will. Um, um, but uh, speaking of your love of connection, dynamic, human relationships, you have a book coming out in paperback. Very yes. soon. Thank you for reminding yes, me. Yes, the reason you're here. <laughs> and late. the real housewives are in the book. Yes, I know. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I'm reading it at the moment. I'm oh, it. thank you. Yeah, so Friendaholic, Confessions of a Friendship Addict is my non-fiction book that is out in paperback and it's really a discussion of and an investigation into what friendship is yeah. and how meaningful we find both the presence of it and the absence of it. And I just felt that there wasn't enough language around friendship in order to be able to express the unique complexity of this beautiful platonic love affair that has been a real consistent in my life. And so I set about trying to find out answers to those questions and to fill those gaps. And I interviewed five of my closest friends, each of whom represents something very different about friendship. Mm. And within those chapters, um, I also discuss sort of friendship themes, like how to deal with frenemies, what, mm. what happens if you're ghosted, which is what happened to me, how to end a friendship. And there is one chapter called Friendship contracts and it's about being a lot clearer about what we have to offer as a friend and what we're looking for in a friendship because I think mm. so often we just take it for granted that we all understand what friendship is but yeah. it's a term that is so broad yeah. and so diffuse that it's rendered almost meaningless unless you sit down and have a conversation with yourself and with others about what well, hang on what do you expect from this friendship because if you're expecting a daily phone call and like a monthly mini break I don't yeah. know if I'm going to be able to be your friend but we can be friendly but before it's a bit like dating with romantic partners yeah. we all have those conversations anyway in that chapter about contracts I cite an iconic episode of The Real Housewives of Atlanta your favourite my favourite when Cynthia Bailey um, former supermodel still an incredibly beautiful woman um, gets Nene Leakes to sign a friendship contract a literal friendship contract because they have had a series of fallouts and misunderstandings and Cynthia's like this friendship is too important to me to me to let that happen again. Yeah. And it was a sort of tongue-in-cheek thing. And um, it caused a lot of controversy at the time because people thought Cynthia was unhinged for doing it. But I went back and I re-watched that scene. And the more I thought about it, the more I was like, I think she was onto something. And so, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. And so I talk about that in that chapter. Um, and generally speaking, I try and find a way to bring reality TV into every book I write. <laughs> so Magpie has a scene where I talk about one of the characters that's my last novel. Um, talking, One of the characters is watching Below Deck. <laughs> and it's just my little nod to my friends who I've never met. 
Oh, I love that. I like, but like, I, I, I'm so inspired by, and I've, I've read. Um, I'm not through it yet, but uh, there's a, a line early on where you say that, like, I've realized that my hobby is having friends. Yes. I was like, oh no, my hobby is having friends. But it's it, it, it. I completely relate to this thing of, um, especially. I, it's. I think it's a, a good book for anybody, regardless of what industry you work Thank in. You. But particularly you and I yeah. work in this highly social industry where you you meet. Like we were joking before we came on the mics that like you and I first met in 2021 and we had this fabulous weekend together at a literary festival and we've kind of failed to hang out ever since. But because we have friends in common, we like that there's a kind of a store of goodwill between yeah, us. Yeah, I feel like I've hung out with you. Yeah. But I have because I hear so much like from Dolly and I love it so much because I feel like we have this sort of sisterhood of three <laughs> even though I've barely you seen you you and I don't interact with it <laughs> even though you're now married to a day I know which is so nice <laughs> so we're basically related but it is that thing of like um, I think and correct me if I'm wrong I think you and I feel a great amount of relief and release in ha- and having that understood bank of goodwill because you often meet people in this industry and you are you go for lunch with them because you're, there's maybe a thing with a project or possibly and then you're like okay well there's a lot of small talk and chit chat and exchanging of lives and creative work and then you're like right so I, do I just have to be friends with this woman forever now do I have right. to go to her birthday party do I yeah. have to send her a Christmas <laughs> and it's like exactly it's, it's, I, so I do feel fucking freaked out and knackered by it a lot yeah. And and the irony is, is that often this industry, I know that we're talking on a podcast and this is yeah. going to be listened to by your many millions of amazing listeners. So the so it's sort of ridiculous for me to sit here and say, but we are probably introverts. Like I, I am an introvert. It's like I love being on my own writing a book. That's yeah. my ideal. And I've become conditioned to living in an extroverted world and I love one-on-one connection and I love my friends with a passion but that sort of experience that you identify and I completely relate where you are making small talk but it's also you're connecting like that can be really draining and it's nothing to do with the other person the other person's probably lovely but I think that I have definitely fallen into the trap of over promising yes of almost like yeah. trick teasing in a friendship me 100% and then withdrawing yeah. and then uh, uh, because I can't there's not yeah. enough capacity I don't have enough energetic capacity yeah and I think that that's a relatable issue for many people who go around the world trying to be nice and trying to connect with others yeah. and actually that can lead to this feeling of being lonely in a crowd which is the cause of higher instances of depression in the same way that being isolated, socially isolated, also causes higher instances of depression. So Friendaholic really for me was how do I tackle this? How do we tackle this? How do we discern the difference between being friendly and actively pursuing a friendship? Because friendship, if you're doing it right, will it'll only extend to a number of people in your lifetime yeah. because time is finite. And there, I, there's been a lot of work done on this by an amazing man called Professor Robin Dunbar. And he says that you can have up to five intimate relationships in your first layer of, sort yeah. of relationships. I believe that, yeah. And if you get married or you have a long-term romantic partner or you have children, he says that will generally cost you two of those other relationships. <gasps> and it's because though that level of intimacy does require time, it does require nurture, it does require like 
contact and we can't do that for everyone in our lives not only are we doing ourselves a disservice but we're doing the other person a disservice too so friendaholic is really about finding our way through all of that and it's not just for media types who feel that they've got too many friends (laughs) it's also for people who don't have the friends that they would like to have or maybe Mm. fail at being a friend to themselves so I want it to be a very inclusive read where you feel like you're talking to a friend just through reading it it's needed and there's not enough of it out there like yeah I just find that there's there's so much sort of self-helpy bits and whatever about you know romantic relationships and so many ways to codify those emotions but yeah you're right a missing language around friendship and mm. thank you for creating that language for us thank you for <laughs> and thank cre- you for being here today no, my it's like us years Caroline, <laughs> I have loved it so much thank you for creating a safe space for me to discuss one of the <laughs> passions of my life <laughs> yeah. um, I adore you and I love what you do and this has been such a pleasure and, and well worth the wait oh, I'm available you. for any Housewives voice notes from here on in Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.